thinking about uh, church, we've, we've been talking about it and going around and around because it's small. And we just, there are those that we're concerned, it's not because we think the church is dying, but because we see it small and we want to reach people, we want to be in touch with the Lord and His will. And that is a concern. And I was thinking about that in um, Revelation, which I'm going to be looking at. You can take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 2. There are seven letters to the church, and those letters are comprised, they comprise a, an evaluation by the Lord of the church, the head of the church, of the church of that day. He picks out seven churches and talks about them. And so we're going to start looking at uh, those seven churches and just kind of see if we can find some things that the Lord might speak to us here in our church uh, in light of what he had to say to the church, beginning in chapter two with the letter to the church in Ephesus in that text. So, but before we look at the passage in Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven, let's ask the Lord's blessing on this time. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us and for the privilege that we have to quieten our hearts and to really come into your presence and to ask you to do your work in our lives. We are a needy people and we, we live in a world that is very needy. We've been reminded of that this morning with our study from John, and uh, we can see some very clear parallels of judgment in the nation, which parallels what John was talking about. And I'm, I'm certain all of us here were making that very clear connection. We live in, uh, I don't know if these are scary times. I don't, I don't know. I really don't feel scared, but I do. I, I can see your judgment and I can see a lot of confusion. And I can see a lot of worry that we talk to people. <clears throat> um, and there is a lot of worry. And uh, that's, I think it's good. And I pray that as we are living in this world and we are seeking to serve you, that you will help us as a church to be responsible to you and to live in a way that we should live. Um, I know that there is a massive need of improvement in my life, in my walk with you, I can see that even in my daily quiet time and the scriptures and things of this nature, there's so many areas in which there is need for confrontation and re repentance and surrender. And I'm certain that's true with all of us. And so as we're looking this morning, particularly in Revelation chapter 2, the church of Ephesus, um, I just pray that I don't want to get lost in a lot of detail, but I, I do pray that you'll help us to be sensitive to who you are and what you're doing. And uh, as a church, that you would have the freedom to speak to our hearts and our lives and that Jesus Christ would be uh, the spokesman and would be exalted and magnified. And we want your work to prosper. We're not here to boost our ego which is sometimes the result if a church gets to be kind of what we think is a good size and a lot of people coming, we sometimes can go off on these trips, which is exactly the lies the reason we're here. We're not here to, to pat ourselves on the back. We're here to love you and serve you. So I pray that this morning uh, you'll speak to our hearts and help us to be listening, sensitive. Uh, you would have free reign in our lives and Jesus Christ would be honored glorified in this time. We ask in his name in thanksgiving. Amen. Ephesians and Revelation chapter 2 covers that first letter to the first church, which is the church of Ephesus. I'm going to read the text beginning in verse 1, and uh, I'll read down through verse 7, and then we'll stop and go back and we'll make comment on that. Um, this is being dictated by the way, to the Apostle John. It was to be given to various individuals known as messengers or angels. We'll talk about that as we get into the text. But what 
is given to the church in Ephesus is like this. It's beginning of verse 1 says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have a perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. These uh, letters, real letters to real historical churches in Asia Minor, are kind of follow a series of seven patterns, and every one of them, the, the Lord of the church makes a comment. He says, I know your works or your deeds. Um, and in every one of them, he makes a, a plea that uh, those who overcome, I will give rewards. Overcome means to overcome the distractions and the things that, that slow us down. He also ends each of the letters with the promise that he who has an ear and hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, and each, each letter has a certain title given to the Lord, which kind of parallels his work and the, the message that he has for the churches. And each gives a warning. Uh, and so they are very powerful, I think. Um, these churches, we know historical, which are historical, seven historical churches. Um, if they, you follow the postal route to these, the big, biggest churches, the biggest areas, it goes down these seven letters, these seven churches, and it is a kind of a route that would be taken. And each of these seven churches, there, each letter has some. Uh, assessments or evaluations and admonishments. Um, and yet these letters are letters that are relevant to all. In other words, you have seven historical churches and seven evaluations of each of those churches. But then you can take those seven evaluations and you can um, you can take them and you can, as we are doing this morning, read them all and evaluate your own church in the light of these seven categories that are listed. In other words, like we can look at the church at Blue Ridge and see there are areas in which we have lost the first law or areas in which we are being persecuted or martyred or whatever. You see what I'm saying? So that, that there, there is application to be made. But you can also take these seven letters and as you look at them, formulate uh, seven types of churches that kind of parallel these seven letters. And the one we're looking at this morning, for example, which I have entitled in my message, I think it's also in the bulletin, the church that uh, lost its first love. And uh, there are churches that are like that, that would be, uh, that would be a kind of a, a category which would evaluate the church. And so these are very, I think these are very clear and very concise evaluations. I know they are, and they are made by the Lord. Uh, as you read the text, it's clear from the terminology and things that are said that the Lord is in the spiritual realm. John was called up into the spirit on the Lord's day and uh, to see these things and to witness these things. He was told to write and uh, each of the seven letters is given to a messenger or an angel. The literally, he could be translated either one messenger or angel, and is to be taken to the church and read to the church. And obviously, then hopefully, people, if it's read slowly, can copy that letter down and just kind of evaluate the church. But it's particularly relevant to the leadership of the church. 
Um, I've often thought we we're we're going through uh, somewhat something of a, a self-examining process because we're so small. <coughs> we don't want to close down because we're not reaching people and not making a difference in the world, and that's what the Lord has called us to do. And so we want to we want to evaluate ourselves and want to be sensitive. And uh, I. I think about that <clears throat> and you want to have an honest evaluation and that's so that's one of the reasons why I'm looking at this because here the Lord <coughs> evaluates these churches and he does so in a rather interesting way he is here is the Lord uh, walking as it, as it says in the text he holds the seven stars in his hand and walks among the seven golden lamps hands and it's clear from the way it's worded that this is, is something that takes place in the spiritual realm. John is called up to the heavens and he's seeing these things. And I don't think we should think that this is, um, it, it may be a little bit confusing, but I don't think it's really confusing. As you read the scriptures, you understand that the Lord is outside and bigger than just this physical realm. He's created this realm and he created the, the galaxies, the universe, the solar system, the stars, the planets, the molecules. He's created the laws of physics, the laws of science, the laws of chemistry, the laws of gravity. And he's created all these things that, that comprise our world. And we are limited, or maybe limited is a good way. We are limited by the laws and the things in this particular realm. But God is not. God is outside of that. And there are there's a whole realm in which he resides outside of that, as well as overseeing the things here that are taking place in our world now. And so we are looking at the Lord in this spiritual realm and viewing the seven churches as he's walking among the churches, lampstands, and he's making evaluation. I guess it's, it's a little bit confusing. And I try not to make it confusing, but I think it's clear that the Lord is definitely in charge and what he sees and what he evaluates from his perspective is an accurate evaluation that affects us in the physical realm down here. <clears throat> and so um, this is where we're going. And so we start out, notice there, they, they just been passing and I don't wanna get bogged down because it's easy to do. But he uses the, the term angel, which is a term for messenger, angelos. Uh, and there are, there, is a, there are different opinions as to whether John is actually addressing an angel that oversees a church. And that is very possible. That very clearly could be the case that there are angels given that have responsibility to oversee each individual church. Just like people talk about that there are angels like guardian angels that sometimes people might have and uh, that they might be doing uh, they, they might be i've had people tell me my guardian angel works overtime so i don't know if that that means anything other than just something to create a smile but what is that only when you drive only when i drive and so anyway thank you during that public um, the, the, uh, the, the, the angel or messenger could be holy angels. Uh, it could be um, personified spirit um, that is used to, to speak of some kind of personified spirit. I don't think that would, that didn't relevate to me too good. Also, it could be, and some have said that it actually is a, a term used for the pastor, the pastor of the church. Uh, is seen as a messenger to the church. And a lot of times, if, if that's the case, which one strong point to that is that there is an instruction to the messengers about what the church needs to do and how to do it. So that would be relevant, perhaps, to the pastor. But I think, I tend to think that uh, the term messenger refers to the messengers of the churches that we know for a fact in the early church that when leaders of the churches like Paul, like Peter, uh, like Timothy and others, uh, when the government or came in and tried to persecute the church or the Jews, and sometimes these leaders were locked up in, like like right now, John in Alabama is locked up for his faith and his testimony about Jesus, and so they have him in prison. And so a lot of times, um, 
the churches back home will send messengers to the prison to provide food and clothing. Remember that Paul asked Timothy to bring when he comes to bring his cloak and some other stuff to keep him warm. And these, these representatives from the churches to help the apostle or help the people that were in prison were called messengers. The reason they did that is because the prisons didn't take good care of the prisoners. And a lot of times they would not have any decent food or clothing or anything in prison. So the the churches back home would send messenger to the prison. And I personally think that that's the case here, these messengers. Uh, just to give you a text, and I'm not going to belabor that, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, Paul writes, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my needs. So Paul writes that there and he says that this guy, Epaphroditus, is your messenger uh, to come and help take care of my needs while I'm here in prison. And I, my, and then the other passages, Philippians 4, 18, Colossians 4, 12, which I'm not going to read because of time. But there, I think that that might explain who these messengers are, or these angels, the message that was given to these messages are, are, are to take the letters that are written back to the churches and see that they're read and, and disseminated. Remember that in that day, the letters had to be copied by hand and uh, they were to be uh, disseminated. So if you were, you would have a, if I would bring one of the letters to this church here and read it, I would read it slowly so that there were two or three church officials could copy and write it down so, so that you could have your own personal copy of that letter. That's one of the blessings of of these manuscripts we have today, and that's one of the ways that we can double check the accuracy of the original manuscripts in the New Testament because they were made, there were so many copies made when they were read. And if you have, uh, like if you have 35 or 40 different copies of a particular book, you're going to have some differences, but the place where they all agree on pretty much is, is pretty substantially sound text, and the Lord preserved this text like that. The, the city of Ephesus had a temple of Artemis, which was a large structure in that city uh, with three points on the roof. It was 127 marble and stone columns holding the roof in place. It was a magnificent structure. Many priceless paintings and bronze statues were there. It was almost like a bank where people could store valuable things. The temple itself was made of marble and gold and bronze and ivory and silver and stone. And the temple stood overlooking a large courtyard and there were large marble steps surrounding the building platform and a high terrace about 80 meters by 130 meters and the columns were 20 meters high and ironic the iconic tops carved uh, circular sides um, the temple had 127 columns total and, and uh, four bronze statues so on and so forth. It was a magnificent structure. It was a beautiful structure. It was so constructed so as the way that the slight curve inside of the building uh, gave it a, a really very impressive demeanor. It was a very, very good, very amazing structure. <clears throat> the people of Ephesus, there was an interesting population and kind of diverse background also of the people in the city of Ephesus. One group there comprised original natives <clears throat> who inhabited area, the area before the arrival of the Greeks. And they were kind of a long-standing deep-seated culture there. But there were also, there were some direct descendants of some of the original colonists from Athens who lived there. There was a third group uh, that comprised the tribes of Greek lineage. And then finally, there was a substantial Jewish population in that city as well. And in the middle of this whole hubbub there, the city that you know, had such commerce, uh, Paul spent a lot of time there, and in the middle of that, Paul went and ministered in Ephesus and began to reach people, and the church began to grow, and so there was a, a pretty effective um, ministry that began to develop there in Ephesus. Paul visited the city while he was on from Corinth to Jerusalem at the close of his second missionary journey, and there was a member of Priscilla and Aquila, uh, were left there, and they, their ministry coincided uh, with the ministry of Apollos. So uh, you have Paul working in the third missionary journey. He spent more time in Ephesus than he did in the other church. So he's put a lot of focus, a lot of Timothy, a lot of effort. He left, he left Timothy there to take care of things in his absence at times. 
And so it's a, it's a, it's a quite an interesting and good place, a very important city. And so there was a pretty substantial church that began to dwell there and minister under the ministry of Paul. Some of the uh, attributes in the letter we were reading um, to the church, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, right? And notice this, this is to me is very fascinating. <clears throat> Twice in that text, it says the one uh, who is walking among the, there, there's a very clear uh, delineation of this one and he's called the one uh, to, the, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, right? The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the gold, the seven golden lampstands says this. And so uh, these attributes uh, described as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's taken, by the way, from verse 13 and verse 16 of Revelation 1, where uh, it says, John said, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw, and here's what John is describing in the spiritual realm now to us in the physical realm. He said, I turned and I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the son of man clothed with a robe reaching to his feet and girded across his chest with golden sash. Then down in verse 16, he says, and in his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth comes a sharp, double-edged sword in his face is like the sun shining with strength. I don't want to get bogged down again here. This is a strange description, but I think it's an accurate description. If we were there, we would agree with John that he did a good job of describing it because this is something that is taking place in the supernatural or spiritual realm, which we don't have access to except through the scriptures. There are people who try to access this area through the occult. They are way over our heads and they are open to all kinds of deception and trouble. And this is an area that we are forbidden to play around in. We don't mess with it at all. You stay away from it. You're kidding. You're going to deal with the devil. We aren't could get into the demonic. Oh, you absolutely could. <clears throat> absolutely could. So it's necessary that wrong. So anyway, uh, <clears throat> the, the the terminology, by the way, that's used there, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands, uh, the use there. Um, Um, the use of the word to the term hold on to the seven stars, holding on to the leadership of the church there, and holding on to the work of the ministry. There, there, there's two, plus, two words that can be used there, but this has to do with a, a strong holding on, holding fast, uh, that holding on for purposes of security, so that the one who walks among the, the, the churches here, um, it says, I saw in seven golden lampstands in the middle of the lampstand, one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, beaten to the feet, and geared about his chest. And then he says, in his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth, seven uh, double edged sword. Here is the one who holds these stars, these churches, walking among the churches and holding the, these churches, has a very firm, secure grasp. It, it makes me think of uh, of John of John ten. Remember John ten, where John was talking about my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and no one snatches them out of my hand. Remember that that's a place of security. My sheep are secure in my hand. My Father has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And so that's and that's John ten twenty seven through twenty nine. And so here's a picture that the Lord holds on to, and the churches are secure in his hand. And that's a, that, that's, I think that's a, that's a good statement. I think that's something that's important for us to see. And so here is this, this picture of the one who is overseeing the churches, holds on to them, and is making an evaluation of the church. And I'm, I really am, I would really like to know what the Lord, I mean, I know that in my life, I can see in my life, I know there's areas of sin, I know there are areas of shortcoming in my life, and I know there are things that 
that, uh, and I sometimes will ask you to pray about things like, for example, my use of time that you want to help me use the time or my relationship with Ann. I've asked people to pray about that because it's, this is the area of vulnerability and it's the area of ease of, of being accessed and accessible and led astray. And I know that. And so I want, I want to be protected by that. And so I'm asking people to pray about that. But there are other things that you don't think about sometimes that the, the Lord can evaluate. And so I like to know, I like to know what he thinks about my ministry. I like to know what he thinks about the church. You see what I'm saying? And, and the direction and uh, what, whatever, what needs to be done. I, I'd like to know that. And so that's one reason why we're doing these is because the Lord evaluates the church and uh, he's doing it and, and his evaluation is good. So here's the one that is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among his hands, and he speaks, he says this, the message of the church in Ephesus writes, uh, these things says the one who holds fast the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven stars. And this is, this is something that he is saying. And when, when you hear that, you remember there used to be a commercial on TV uh, that, that uh, when if Hutton speaks, everybody listens. You remember that? Maybe you don't remember that, but I can remember seeing that advertisement. It's so constructed that people all sitting there talking in the bus or something like that. And one that says, My, my financier, financier, counselor, D.F. Hutton. And he says, and when he says that, everybody else completely stops and they listen to what he has to say. That's the advertisement. But here, when the Lord speaks, we want to be quiet. We want to listen to what he has to say. We want to hear what he has to say. And so Paul introduces, uh, Paul, John introduces this. This is, these are the things that says the one who uh, is overseeing the seven churches. And he says in verse two, I know your deeds. And by the way, he does that in all the letters. He knows the deeds. He knows what's going on. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, just like he knows this church. And you cannot tolerate, you cannot tolerate evil men, and that he puts to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And so. Here is, uh, first of all, he says, I know. The word know there is not so much I know by observation, but I know by intuitive knowledge, because I'm the Lord of the church. I'm, I have all knowledge, I have all wisdom, and I know these things. This is an objective knowledge, not so much a subjective uh, understanding. So the Lord says, I know these things. And that to me is, a, <clears throat> is an encouragement. Um, it's an encouragement because nothing gets swept under the rug with the Lord. Nothing gets lost. Some of you have done for years and years and years have been faithful in ministering and they're doing things and it's easy to wonder if those things will ever see the light of day. But if you're serving the Lord, they definitely will see the light of day. Nothing will ever be lost. Nothing will ever be swept under the rug and forgotten. That's an absolute certainty. And so that's a good thought in my thinking that the Lord knows these things. He says, I, I, I know your deeds, uh, your objective knowledge, and, and I know these things that are true in your life. Um, I like also, um, he says that this phrase, I know your deeds, uh, is used in the, in the seven letters and uh, that uh, he also said, I know your tribulation and poverty. And so these things are certain. They are known by the Lord. He knows these things. They are clear. And the use of the word there, when he says, I know your deeds or I know your works, um, the word works there uh, can either refer to good or bad works, but it is conspicuous in the context of these letters, the word always refers to good works. I know your good works. I know your good deeds. I know the good things that you are striving uh, to do. And I'm not sure, I, I, I wrote down in the notes here, but this was years ago with these notes that uh, it could be reflective of the nature of our Lord 
uh, to look for good response in our hearts before bringing corruption. And it is true that the Lord does zero in on the good things that we do and what we want to do and how we want to serve him. And he sees that. And so that, that, that's an important, important thing. Um, Paul says in Romans 3, there is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God, all who turn aside, together they have become useless, there is none who does good, there is not even one. That's an assessment of the human race. But in the letters here, when he says, I know your good deeds, he, he's saying, I know the good things that you're doing, I know the good things that you're trying to do, I know your deeds. Your toil, your effort, your labor, your work. I know your performance and the result of, of your employment. Um, and the, he goes on to say, not only your deeds, but your toil. That has to do, uh, it actually means beat or lament, or literally means to work hard, even to the point of exhaustion. I know your hard work and your labor. I know that. I'm aware of that. And also perseverance. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. Kupamone is the Greek word, and just means to stay under the load until it's done, until it's finished. I know your endurance. I know that you stay under the, the load. And so uh, here's the, the Lord's evaluation of the church, kind of summarizing they're faithful in the midst of opposition, in spite, in spite of discouragement. By the way, discouragement is probably one of the big enemies of the work, that people become discouraged. And the reason people come discouraged is because they get their eyes off the Lord. They get their eyes on some kind of goal, something that they want, uh, that they think is important, their ego, or their their success, or what they see as their Lord's evaluation of their success. And they, they become easily discouraged. People who are easily discouraged quit. They, they bail out. They'll go do something else. They'll walk away. Uh, that's just... I've heard that many times people that say that's that's really an enemy of the Lord's work. And so it's, it's possible the Lord kind of evaluates the church and he points out their faithfulness in the midst of opposition. Uh, and they, they persist in their good works. Um, and he says, not only that, but you cannot, verse middle of verse two, you cannot tolerate evil men. And the word, the idea here, again, um, when he says you cannot tolerate, you're intolerant. Um, the word intolerant means you cannot bear or you cannot carry something too heavy to carry to put up with. And uh, you cannot tolerate evil men. The phrase evil men is the word uh, kathos. And it's not necessarily evil men in the sense that these men are evil and doing evil things like we talked about earlier with John and stuff. Uh, it could just mean that you're doing um, things that you're not prescribed, or not, not necessarily uh, things of, of importance. Uh, that same phrase is translated in Luke 16. This is kind of interesting to me, where Abraham is addressing the rich man about Lazarus, rich man and Lazarus, and Lazarus sat at his gate. And Abraham said, child, remember that during your life, you received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus received bad things. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Lazarus received wicked things, but that the things that he received were not helpful, were not really good, not really the things that really encouraged him. That uh, the rich man, both of them were Jewish, and uh, Lazarus was, was in need. He would sit at the gate of this wealthy rich man, but the rich man ignored him. And so he was he was receiving bad things, not necessarily wicked things. I don't know if that's clear, but that's the that's the same word that's used here when he talks about <coughs> uh, evil uh, evil men. He says you cannot tolerate evil men. And I, I think I think what he's saying is you cannot tolerate those that are in the church but that they are they're choosing to do less than the best thing. It may not be necessarily choosing um, to do wicked things as, as it seems to see there, but rather they're choosing to kind of waste their time, waste their efforts, and not being productive. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't know if that, if it, but that would tend 
um, that would tend to generate maybe a, a judgmental attitude if you have some that are doing that and they're kind of like a, a dead weight, maybe. I don't know if that's the best way to say it, whatever. These, these are these things are things that are not right necessarily, not good, not proper as they have been. Uh, and that culture, the word is used to cowardly soldiers and lazy students who are, who are not uh, putting forth their, carrying their particular load. So here's a text, Ephesian church did not carry professing believers who were not living up to the proper standard. Maybe it's a good way of putting it. So it was the, the church, their emphasis in the Lord evaluating them and seeing them realizes what they're doing, where they are, um, and the, the church, and the, but there, there is this, there's this uh, resentment, maybe, to some degree. The summary of the text, um, I guess you could say that God says, I know you're laboring, I know you're working hard, even to the point of exhaustion, you've not bailed out, you've not gotten tired, you've not quit, you're not sidetracked by those who try to take advantage of your good works, that you are you are working. He goes on to say, but you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. That's a good thing that they did that. There were there was at the church at Corinth of um, Paul talks about that. Uh, those who who question Paul's uh, apostolic authority. And uh, there were those who even to his face there, it looks like in the context of uh, Kind of ridiculed him and tried to turn away from him a little bit, discouraging him, and he was really broken by that for a while. And uh, it was part of that thorn uh, in the flesh that was seems to be too heavy to bear. It. And Paul uh, asked the Lord to help get rid of that. But uh, these self-proclaimed apostles, the the church at Ephesus. Uh, tested them, examined them. They went to the trouble. They didn't just sit back and take what they said. They examined them. And they not only examined them, they found that they were false. They exposed their falsitivity, their, their error, and they were, they were then judged by that. And so this is, a, this is a good thing that they were doing. The church has some very good things to say about it. He goes on to say in verse 3, and you have, you have perseverance. Perseverance is something that is really, really important in the church. James and uh, several passages, James talks about it that uh, um, in, in James chapter two, uh, when you go through various trials, count it all joy when you go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, produces steadfastness. Steadfastness and endurance is the key to a genuine salvation. Genuine salvation people endure. They don't quit and bail out. Now, there's sometimes we might be discouraged and we might move around a while, but the Lord will see to it that we get kicked and some something happens and brings us back to life. Um, because endurance is and perseverance is is that this church, he said you have perseverance, and not only that, but you have endured. And not only that, but you have endured for my name's sake. Uh, and you've not grown weary. That's that's really a very good statement for the church. That they're they're enduring. They're persisting. They're hanging in there. They've not quit, um, and they have been very faithful. And so here they are, the allegiance to Christ through His name, persisting in these good uh, works um, and not being discouraged and, and uh, working to the point of exhaustion. Uh, that's these are all good things that he is, the Lord is saying about them. And yet he says this in verse 6, he says, this I do have, um, yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of Nicolaitans. Uh, and, and I'm honest with you, I have not been able to satisfy my mind completely about that Nicolaitans. Some say that they were followers of Nicholas uh, and uh, that, that uh, there was a quote by Irenaeus that John, the, the disciple of the Lord, preached, preaches his faith. Uh, this guy preaches the faith and deity of Christ and seeks by the proclamation of the gospel to remove that error. In other words, there was a there was a, there were those who believed that that uh, the physical was bad and the spiritual was good, and that um, the Nicolaitans were those who kind of said you can do pretty much what you want to in the flesh. Um, and and uh, but it doesn't matter. But it does matter 
Uh, they talked about the early fathers, both Irenaeus and, and Hippopolitus, take this to be a sect, and it was an error, and they deal with it. And um, I'm sorry, I can't give you an exact, because I've read several others believe, by the way, they, the term Nicolaitans means conqueror of people. And some believe that these were those who, who built a real strong religious caste system to oversee and dominate the people with their religious position over the over the, over the laity, whatever, and dominate that. And but either way, the Lord identifies it. It's interesting; He identifies it very strongly. You hate the deeds, the works of the Nicolaitans, a thing which I also hate, which is a good thing to say about the church if they hate the same things that the lord hates and uh, the, in his position that's very good so that's that's uh, another favor favorable form one more thing and then we'll we'll finish with this particular church here um he says i have this against you what is that that you have left your first love uh, in one brief statement the lord isolates a critical problem in the church and the stress is on their first love, or the love that they once had, the, the passion, the pursuit. Remember, love is a volitional word. It's a word that means action. And so here is your love, your, your pursuit of me, your provision of me, your effort. And I, I suppose that all of us, in one sense, could find ourselves under this. I, I know, definitely, I do. I can see that in my life, that I can... I can love a lot of other things. That's why I ask you for prayer. A lot of things that are associated with me, that exalt me, or that um, I pursue or I want, and uh, I can I can get my focus and my wants and my desires ahead of the Lord's calling, the Lord's work, and it's easy to want what I want rather than wanting what the Lord wants or wanting to do what I know is my responsibility is what the Lord wants. You see what I'm saying? <coughs> Uh, we are faced with that all the time, where we have all kinds of things we know we should be doing for the church or for the Lord, like coming, even coming to prayer meeting, or either doing your Bible reading and your daily Bible reading and prayer and witnessing the people that you know you need to witness to and pray for. A lot of things that I put on the back burner at times when they should be forefront, and I'm sure that's the case with all of us, and it is a shame. We want to be faithful uh, to do that. But to love the Lord, that's the motivation that I think is the highest motivation, to really have that first love, to remember, and he, he, he gets into that, so you left your first love, the love of your first days, um, that you can remember where you were, what it was like when you first, you know, I can remember that, when you first came to the Lord and you would want to tell everybody about the Lord and your relationship with him and how much you enjoy him and, and what he means to you. And I can remember uh, just riding around and looking at creation and just singing out of happiness and excitement because of what the Lord is and what he's done and what he's created and how nice it is to know him. And, uh, <clears throat> and But you don't want to lose that, you know, and it, it's, uh, it's just a wonderful thing. And it's easy to, to lay that aside. Remember from where you have and the, and the word there, by the way, is remember from where you have fallen. In other words, we think of being a new believer as starting down here and then growing, 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 growing. But, and there is a sense in which that's the case, but there's also a sense in which when we first come to the Lord, we are excited and exuberant and we are joyful and overflowing with joy. But we kind of settle down and get down to earth. And that's not growth, that's falling away in the, in the sense of the text. And so it says, remember from where you have fallen and go back and do those deeds. When I was a new believer, I used to have my, the way I came to the Lord, and I know I've told you this, so I'm not going to belabor it, but the way I came to the Lord was I uh, had some pretty serious financial struggles. And I remember my grandmother was a godly woman telling me how the Lord had met her financial needs because the Lord was faithful. <coughs> and she had tried to be faithful to him and stuff. And, and it wasn't that he was paying her back, but it, that she was his child and, and uh, that he was faithful to provide for her. And uh, she, she gave, uh, there were a number of illustrations of that. One illustration I remember was uh, 
one day they received a note, a notice from the city of Wake Forest that they, they had a big house on uh, North Main Street, which was like a big faculty drive with all the big homes of all the faculty and uh, big, big, very, very nice homes. She had a big home there. It wasn't so much that she was prestigious, it was, it was a big home. And she had a boarding home. She, she had about uh, 12 bedrooms upstairs and two baths, and each bedroom had its own sink. Now that's really saying something when you have a bedroom with its own private sink in it. But anyway, um, she, she got, they, they got, she and her sister, Aunt Sally, got a letter from the Times saying the town is going to put in a formal sidewalk all the way down Faculty Drive, North Main Street, it's called. You know. And uh, they would, and they were going to, it was going to cost so much. And they didn't know whether to, they said, you can pay for it now, or we will bill you and we will pay you as, as you know, you, you can set up installments and pay as you like. And they read, prayed about it and didn't know what to do. Finally, they, they said, well, we've got the money in savings. We'll drain our savings. We'll pay for that bill and get it paid, take up, taken up. So they did. They drained the savings. They went, got the money and they went down and paid the bill. Bill is taken care of. The city is now responsible for doing the sidewalk. Less than a week from that day, they had the big foreclosure of the banks. When the banks closed, and people who had money and savings, they lost every penny they had. They, had it. they lost it. And grandmother and Aunt, Aunt Sally said, "You know what? If we had to go, if we had met this bill and just paid it, which we thought about doing, we'd have still had the bill. As it is, we paid for it before the banks foreclosed. Our bill is paid for, and Lord protected." Grandmother used to talk about these kinds of things and how the Lord was faithful. I heard those things and I thought I need to have a quiet time. I need to be faithful to the Lord so he'll meet my needs and help me with my financial problems. Now, between you and me, my financial problems were not because of my quiet time, but because I was mishandling my money and I was mishandling my time. It was my fault and I know that. But I started having a quiet time. And it was in that quiet time reading a book by Raymond Edmonds called The Distance of Life that the Lord spoke to my heart and I gave my life to the Lord. And that began to turn around in my life. And so I'm very thankful for that. And so here is this, this uh, early believer. And I used to have a Volkswagen bus. And I would every morning before I went to work, I was in insurance. We had to be there around 11 or so. Actually, I had my office. I could come and go if I wanted to. But I would get in my Volkswagen and stop and get two cups of coffee and go to Pullen Park and sit there and I would do my Bible reading and stuff. And I remember that. And I said, well, those were good times. And so, you know, you want to kind of go back to those good times. And, and the, I don't have a Volkswagen bus anymore. And that's a, that's a nice office. That's a lot more comfortable than seeing a Subaru because you got all this room, leg room, and everything. But anyway, he says here, remember from where you fall. And go back and do the deeds, the works, the, the love, the, the pursuit of the Lord, and take that seriously, uh, and and repent. So he uses the word repentance there, which means you change your mind and go the other direction. And so that's that's um, that is the challenge that, that comes to me out of this letter, and that's where I'm going to have to stop because it's that's uh, where he leaves off here. He says to You've left your first love. Remember from where you've fallen. Take these things seriously. Um, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove. Notice this. I will remove your lampstand, which is your church, out of its place unless you repent. That means that there is in heaven, just like the Lord is there by the right hand of the Father, there is a situation where the, the Lord has things established. And one of the things is the place for his church, that church there. He said, I'm going to come and I'm going to move your lampstand out of its place if you don't repent. And I think about that. Think about this church and think about others. You know, with, with the, the sin is not being small. The sin is being complacent and careful and just not taking seriously our responsibility to walk with the Lord and to seek to reach the law. We need to do that. Uh, we're living in a day in which our particular kind of church is uniquely suited for people when they go through real difficult times because it's casual and they can come in and we can be available. And we're making good contact. And I think that's a good thing. I just don't think it's enough. I think we want to be faithful. And so just keep praying and be faithful, faithful to witness, faithful to share. Because that's that's what he wants us to do. Quick question, Pastor. Uh, 
space. I know you was talking about the angel that first person there. Yeah. It also goes into says uh, <clears throat> these are the words of him who holds the seven stars, and I know that the one who holds them is Jesus. Seven stars um, over in verse chapter one verse twenty says the mystery of the seven stars is for you that saw on the right hand of the seven golden lampstand. Seven stars are the angels. Yeah. Okay, so am I to understand that the seven stars he's talking about are the messengers and or pastors or leaders of the church? Well, the, the messengers, we don't know for sure who the, the seven angels are. But the, the, it, could, it could be that seven angels, could be seven pastors, could be the messengers to the church. I don't know that it really... I don't, I, if you want to put pastors in there, you can. I don't have any problem with that. If you want to put the messengers, who I believe he's talking about, is the messengers that are sent to, by these churches to be with John to help him. I think they even brought some of this writing material that John was writing on and stuff. So it sounds like there's seven different messengers. Yeah, there are one piece of the church. Okay. Yeah. And they, they have responsibility to bring the letter back to their church and read it there. Well, and another thing that sticks out in my hand is that's very good, by the way. It's this in his right hand. Yeah, that's right good. It's always in, a, in a, a, a thing of providence. That's right. Because he sits by the right hand of God in that's his right. right hand. Not that your left hand is any less important, but for some reason they're in his right hand, which means that's very important to him. So I think what it is, just my interpretation, and I'm nowhere near where I need to be, but it says the seven stars. I think it's the seven leaders, the okay. seven of each one of the churches. Because they have to have a lead pastor, I'm assuming. Yeah. So I'm thinking that's what it is because he's holding them. Yes, a higher and better yeah. accountability. Yeah. Okay. Is that yeah. wrong? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it's, you, you're very clear. <clears throat> Except for my toes. Oh, no. You uh -uh. All right. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for this time. Um, I labor this a lot. Because I can see how I love other things more than you, uh, and at times can seek other things more than you. And there are these struggles that go on, and I'm sure they're going on in our life, but I know they go on in my life, and I see that. So I'm asking you to help me to be faithful and to focus on you and to just tonight we're going to be, we, we like the game, we want to sit and watch that stuff, but help us not to lose touch with the fact that we're here because we love you and help us to not to sh not to just act it but to let your spirit work in our lives you are the one that generates joy and the hope and the purpose help us to focus on that and be a clear testimony of your mercy and your grace to those around us pray for the meeting tonight and for the study thank you for larry leading us in that study we ask you about your plan in this name